looking at uh, verse 17 and then going on to the end of chapter 3. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time in, in person, not in thought, out of our interest, intense longing, we may make every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory? In the presence of our Lord Jesus, whom, when he comes, it is not you. Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one will be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has come now, come just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you, in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul who wrote different letters to different churches. And we thank you for this letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. And Lord, it may have been thousands of years ago, but Lord, it's relevant to us today because your word comes alive through the power of your spirit. And so for that word that you've laid on Martin's heart for us this morning, may we have ears to hear what almighty God has to say and hearts that want to respond to the preaching of the word. So bless him and bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. Christian friendship, uh, longing to share. Um, I don't know how you, uh, how you see the church uh, as an organisation, but um, if you read through uh, Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, you will notice that uh, Paul uses the word brothers, or in some translations, brothers and sisters, 19 times in just... 1 Thessalonians, 19 times. He keeps saying brothers, 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 over and over again. This is a deeply personal relationship that Paul has with his churches. Um, 
And this is instructive straight away for us, isn't it? Because it's important that we know what type of organization we belong to. You know, I wonder how you see the church. Well, Paul sees the church as a family of brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, that is a value that should permeate everything that we do, shouldn't it? We're not a business. We are a charitable organization, but we're not primarily a business. It's important that we are business-like in some ways, but we are not a business. Um, we are a family. We are relationships first and other stuff second, right? Um, that is really important order to keep in mind. Um, Paul, uh, I'll just give you an example of verse 17 of Paul's affectionate language for the church in Thessalonica. But brothers, when we were torn away from you, can you hear the affection in him? For a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Can you hear the language um, last week, we learned that Paul saw the, um, himself as a father and a mother to the church. Um, this is deeply affectionate language, isn't it? He, he longs to see them again. He longs for them, like a father or a mother um, longs for their child when they're separated from them. Um, you know, of course, the background that he hasn't been able to see them for, for a long time. Um, he's literally been torn away. When Paul planted the church in Acts 17, there was, there was a, a riot in the city stirred up by Jewish slanderers who um, were unhappy that Gentiles and some Jews were coming to faith. And so they stirred up a mob riot and Paul and Silas and Timothy were driven out initially into Berea and then later into Athens. And Paul would love to visit this church again, but listen to what he says in verse 18. For we wanted to come to you, certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan stopped us. Um, he doesn't go into detail about how Satan stopped, but, but it was clearly spiritual opposition. Paul longed to go back and see this church again and again, but he was prevented from uh, doing so by Satan and his uh, opposition. So the task of ministry is a deeply relational one. And we need to remember that. Um, I'll give you one example of where I struggle a bit with this. I think um, email is, is essential and is brilliant, um, as is uh, social media. Um, but the fact that the family is, 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 is the metaphor for the church reminds us that really we should do as much pastoral care of, of one another face to face as we can. All right? Because you know and I know how destructive e emails can be. You don't get the warmth or the body language of the person on the email, do you? It might be the most affectionate, warm email in terms of the language, but because you're not sitting down and looking into the person's eyes, you don't see their affection for you, do you? And so what you think sounds like a reasonable email to the person receiving it, ah! You know... Emails are great. Conveying information, reminding people that there's a meeting coming up. You know, not that any of you need reminding about anything, but, uh, you know, emails are good for conveying information. Basic facts. We couldn't live without it. Or text, could we? 
or any other, so there are other social media available, I should say, but, you know, we need this stuff, it's useful, right? But it's not, it's not our primary method of communication, or it shouldn't be, in the church. Um, we, we visited a university up in Sheffield yesterday, and one of the students showing us around said, you need to get on Facebook, because for some reason, and she wasn't on Facebook before she went to Sheffield, but because um, she's of that Instagram generation, but everything happens on Facebook at university. And so she had to kind of sign up to Facebook. So all the information about anything comes on Facebook. Um, and I, it reminded me of how different the church is. Uh, we are people who are family. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if we've got important things to say, how about the old-fashioned old school way of sitting down and having a conversation. Do you remember those days? Actually, it's biblical, isn't it? Looking into somebody's eyes, having a conversation. Um, I, you know, and I say this to myself because it's so easy to ping off an email, isn't it? Because it's safer, it's easier, it's more comfortable. We can sit in the comfort of our own home. We don't have to sit down with this person. But that's not the biblical way, is it? Anyway, moving on. He's utterly committed to this church. Even though he's separated from them, he totally loves them. And he wants them to know that he loves them. So he sends them a letter telling them that he loves them, that he's praying for them. But he also sends them Timothy, who's, who's able to bring an encouraging report back. Um, and Paul's defense of his commitment uh, for the church is a model for us. Remember that there are Jewish people slandering him, saying... Paul's forgotten about the church, he doesn't care for them, he doesn't love them anymore, he's, he's left them behind and forgotten about them. And Paul writes to remind the church that in no way has he forgotten them. In fact, he longs to see them again, but he's been prevented from doing so. And um, Paul is a model of how we should love one another. Um, there's a danger when we read the Apostle Paul that we think, oh, the Apostle Paul, wasn't he wonderful? And we fail to apply that to ourselves, right? We can go, oh, the apostles were at a higher level than us. Doesn't apply to me, you know? You'd expect more from the apostle Paul and the apostles than you would from me. Sorry, folks, you don't get out of it that easy. Because Paul prays in a way that tells us that we need to be praying that we would be loving, like the apostle Paul, of one another, how do I know this? Well, look at the text. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Folks, we don't get off the hook, right? Paul is a model for us of how to love one another. We can't say, oh, the apostle's up there and we're down here. We're supposed to follow his example. We're supposed to pray that the Lord would increase our love for one another, that we would love one another like a family, like brothers and sisters in a family, and for everyone else. Love would increase for those outside of the church in our community. So this is a model that Paul's giving us. It's not a sermon about the Apostle Paul, it's a sermon about us, because Paul is modelling friendship, and deep commitment and love for us. So first of all, 
Paul shows us a model for loving, committed friendships in the church. We'll go back to verse 17, if we may, because there's some more language here I want to get to. But brothers, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. Um, Paul says that when he and Silas had to escape uh, Berea, sorry, Thessalonica and, and flee to Berea, it was like they were torn away from the church. Now that verb, torn away, means orphaned, right? It means to be orphaned. So Paul sees himself as like a father and a mother for this church. And his separation for them feels like he's been orphaned. He's, he's lost his child. That's how deeply he holds them in his affection. It's like he's been orphaned, separated from his child. That's how deeply he holds them in his affections. He's bereaved of his children. And he has an intense longing to see them again. And... Uh, Paul is so committed to the church that uh, he, he wants them to share in his own eternal destiny. Verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Um, this is the picture of the gold medal or the laurel wreath at the end of the race, isn't it? The crown for running the race and winning the prize. And Paul is saying that as well as him claiming his own crown, he has an intense longing and a hope, a joy, that the whole of the Thessalonian church would run the race and receive the laurel wreath and the gold medal for winning the prize, the crown of eternity. That's his joy. That's his hope. That's what he wants to see. He wants to be there in heaven... And when Christ comes again in all his glory, he wants the whole of the Thessalonians to be with him and to share in that joy. And that's his crown. That's his hope. That's his victory prize. Um, I hope that you want the Christians that you've served with and in the churches that you've been part of to share in the crown that you hope for. I hope you want that. I hope that's your prayer, your longing, because that's what Paul hopes for, that you are our glory and joy. I hope that I'm with all of you in glory. That's my prayer, that we would all finish the race and claim the crown, right? That we would be worshipping Jesus in eternity. Second, Paul shows us the importance of strengthening one another in the face of spiritual opposition. Did you know that you are a means of grace that God uses to strengthen other believers? Did you know that? That makes you being here and fellowshipping with other Christians absolutely essential for other people, right? When you're away, the church is missing something. I'm not saying never go away and don't go on holiday. Please don't hear me wrong. I go on holiday. You go on holiday. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is you being here and fellowshipping with me is a great source of encouragement and strength for me in the face of opposition. I need 
to see you. I need your encouragement. I need your prayers. Right? You need mine. You need everyone's. And everyone needs you. We are God's means of grace to keep running the race and claim the crown, right? I don't know if you've ever seen a marathon, but um, the runners are so lifted by all the supporters on the side of the road, aren't they? You know, when they're clapping and cheering, come on, you can make it. Isn't that a wonderful illustration of, of how we can do that for each other? We can be cheerleaders, champions for one another, can't we? Shouldn't we be? You being here today encourages my heart, quite frankly. And that's what we are here to do for one another. So who needs encouraging? Who needs a word of hope and encouragement from you today? Are we aware? Are we looking out for people? We need one another's prayers, love and encouragement because Satan opposes the work of the church and the advance of the gospel. We've already seen this back in chapter 2, verse 18. Satan stopped Paul in some way again and again from visiting um, Thessalonica. You know, probably it was a violent uh, uh, threat or even a threat of imprisonment or he was just banned. We just don't know. But it was a real threat and Paul sees that Satan was behind it. An opposition like this is a, is a reality in the Christian life. Have you noticed? <laughs> Some people say to me, well, you know, before I was a Christian, yeah, I used to have trials and troubles, but do you know what? Since I've become a Christian, I've got a whole new set. Yeah? Welcome to the club. You're now in a spiritual battle, right? That you weren't in before. You're now a child of the king. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the sun. So you're going to get noticed by Satan. And he's going to come against you spiritually. Whether it, you know, and Satan loves to use difficult circumstances, ill health, um, trouble in the family, relationships. He will use anything he can to bring us down, right? I think Satan's greatest weapon from personal experience is discouragement, right? Oh, you know, I just feel weary. You know, I'm just discouraged. I feel down in the dumps because of all this stuff. That's what he loves to do. He loves to destroy our faith and bring us down and cause discouragement. But when we come in, and that's the time when we least feel like fellowship, but that's the time when we most need fellowship, right? Because God has ordained that a means of grace should be family relationships in the church, and sometimes we don't feel like being next to people. I, I know, I've been there. But when you make the effort and you come out, do you know what? People are a means of grace to us. Yeah? You have to make the effort. You know? You have to. And when you do, God meets us and strengthens us. And Paul really is genuinely afraid for um, the Thessalonians because he's separated from them and he's afraid that all of his planting of the church and all of his efforts are going to go to waste. Verse 5 of chapter 3. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you and our efforts might have been useless. This is, the, this is the apostle. He's afraid. He, he's anxious for the church. Um, anybody ever get anxious about stuff? Anybody worry about stuff? Well, the apostle Paul got there before you. 
right? right he, he would toss and turn at night, sleepless nights, Paul described as having, over, over his concern for the churches, right? And he was afraid that somehow the tempter, Satan, might have tempted the church, who, who he was separated from, and all of his efforts would have been useless. They'd have fallen away from the faith. Because he knows that Satan is a prowling lion looking for someone to devour. And that Satan loves to devour Christians, loves to dishearten them, discourage them, bring them down. And that's a real threat. And Paul is watching the church and he sends Timothy to get a report. And that's a favorable report, which we'll come to in a moment. But he's looking out with concern for spiritual attacks against his brothers and sisters. Folks, are we looking out for one another in the face of spiritual attacks? Right? Are we looking to come alongside people who are, who are getting disheartened and discouraging because of the work of Satan? And are we praying for them and just coming alongside and saying, look, I love you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to pray for you. Here's a scripture that I received for you. You know, it doesn't have to be a huge amount that we it just just have to show love and concern, don't we, for people who are struggling. Because often it's spiritual attack. Spiritual attack. And that's what Paul did, and that's what we should do. The importance of strengthening one another in the face of spiritual opposition. Third, Paul shows us the importance of prayer in Christians standing firm against spiritual opposition. Timothy has returned. And by the time that Paul sits down to write this letter, probably in Corinth, and uh, he's had a favorable report. The church still love Paul. The church are longing to see Paul, just as he is longing to see them, and they haven't fallen away in their faith. The slanderers, the gossip merchants back in Thessalonica, have not turned the church against Paul. In fact, they're longing to see him. And they say how much affection they have for Paul, how much they desire to see him. It's, it's a good news report from Timothy. And Paul is encouraged and strengthened by that good news report. And after thanking God for all the joy and encouragement uh, brought to him by the Thessalonians standing firm, Paul adds this important line in verse 10. Night and day... We pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul is constantly praying for this church. Constantly praying that they would be kept blameless and pure. Kept from falling by Satan's attacks spiritually. But he also uses an interesting little phrase here. Um, this is a good church. This is a very good church. I, I, I think if Ofsted visited Thessalonia, and, uh, were, and if there was an Ofsted for church inspections, they would probably be getting an outstanding, or at least a borderline, very good outstanding. All right? They're, they're of that ilk. They're, they're a good outfit. All right? They're getting a lot right. However, there's still stuff lacking in this church. And Paul says, supply what is lacking in your faith. Now, in the Greek, the word supply is used of mending fishing nets. So there are holes in this church's fishing nets. Now, if you apply that to the analogy of, of fishing for people, 
as Jesus uh, talked about his disciples being fishers of men, there are clearly things in this church which are preventing them being as effective as they should be in fishing evangelistically. We learn later on in chapter 4 that the two big things are sexual ethics, all right? There's some immorality in the church, so they're not loving each other as they should. And there is a problem of labor, of work. Some people have over-spiritualized work. And because they're expecting the return of Christ at, at any moment, they, they, they have over-spiritualized it so that um, work is, is no longer of importance. And some people are relying on others in the church for money. And they, they've become kind of busybodies in terms of running around trying to, trying to get aid and help and um, interfering in other people's affairs. And Paul says, live quiet lives and get a job, basically, to them. Um, so there's two issues. There's, there's, there's work and sexual immorality in the church at Thessalonica. There are holes in the nets. And Paul prays most earnestly that God would supply what is lacking, would mend the nets. We'll come to that next week, anyway. Um, Paul's prayers are key to the church standing firm in the faith, and they're ongoing. And uh, God wants us to be effective in mission, to have uh, nets that don't have holes in them. Because if we're putting out nets that have got holes in them, the fish are going to escape, right? They're going to get out and escape. And we need to ask ourselves in prayer, are there holes in the nets? that are preventing people from being caught with the gospel. Um, fourthly and lastly, Paul shows us how to pray. Paul shows us how to pray. Three priorities. Um, verse 11, first of all, praying against spiritual attack. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Paul sees his inability to get to see the Thessalonians He's not, he's not making an excuse for it. It's a spiritual thing. And he says only Jesus can clear the way. We know that Paul did get back to Thessalonians later, a few years later. But he prayed and asked them to pray that the Lord Jesus would clear the way for him to come. In other words, Satan is blocking the way. And um, Satan will do all he can to block the advance of the gospel. Right? Um, and we need to pray against that. Um, on a Monday morning, when we pray for the church and the community, and that prayer meeting is open to everybody, absolutely anybody, at 9.30, we pray that God would intervene in our community, that God would intervene against the powers of evil and unstop deaf ears, open blind eyes, and soften hard hearts, and that people would be open to receiving and responding to the gospel. We pray that the Holy Spirit would quicken the hearts of people in the community. In other words, make them open to the gospel. We need to keep praying that over and over and over again, because there's a spiritual battle that's raging over this community, and we need to recognize that and keep praying that Jesus would clear the way for the gospel to come to our community, right? Okay? You with me? Yes. Good. Second prayer priority, verse 12. That their love towards one another would increase and overflow. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else. Um, I loathe to use pictures on a, on a day of flooding, potentially in West Yorkshire and in South Wales. 
uh, but I'm going to kind of have to. I'm sorry for any Welsh people or anybody who's got relatives in West Yorkshire. But um, the picture here is of, is of kind of overflow of love from the church out into our front lines in the community, isn't it? That we would be so... Uh, so energized by one another's love that that love would go into our workplaces, into our schools, our universities, our front lines, wherever we live and work and move and have friends and interact with the community, that we would so encourage love in one another and that we would pray for so much love to increase in us by the Holy Spirit that there'd be an overflow for people outside the church as well. So important, isn't it? We can never finish praying this prayer there's always more love that we need to have for one another and for the community, right? We can go on praying this prayer until we meet Jesus, right? Number three, getting there now, coming to land, praying that we will persevere until Christ comes again. So, so important. All right? Um, prayer is a means of grace that God uses to keep us running the race until the end, right? God has ordained that us praying for ourselves and for one another is a means of grace that we would finish the race. Don't underestimate the importance and power of prayer. Um, one of my pastor friends once said that he'd come to the point where he realized that if people didn't pray for him, it was like um, he was, you know, it was like he wasn't receiving an inoculation for a, for a deadly disease that he needed, you know? We, if we're going to finish the race and get to the end, we are going to have to pray for one another, folks. There is no plan B. All right? Now, don't get me wrong. You know, I believe the words of the song. Nothing can pluck me out of his hand. I believe that. But I believe that in the context that your prayers for me and my prayers for you are essential for that to be true. Right? You get it? Both are true. Nobody can separate me from God's love, but I have a responsibility to pray that that would be true for other people. Okay? There's a tension here. God is sovereign. God will work everything out according to his plan, but part of his plan is that you and I pray, right? And you will not relieve that tension in Scripture. It's there. We need to pray. May you strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holiness, holy ones. There is a day when you and I will have to stand before Christ. And you, I'm sure, like me, you want to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm sure you want to be counted righteous in Christ because you've kept the faith and run the race and claimed the prize, Right? Well, if we're going to make it to the end of the race, folks, we're going to have to pray for one another. I mean that with all sincerity. I mean that with all sincerity. Um, because if we run the race, if we run the race to the end, um, Jesus will declare us to be holy and blameless in his sight. Because his death and resurrection will prove that we are one of his and that we've run the race faithfully. doesn't mean that we've never sinned and that we haven't had setbacks, but it will mean that we have run ultimately in the right direction and that he has kept us until the very end.
Um, and you and I need one another's prayers, if that's to be so, that we will persevere in the faith. I'm challenging us this morning. You are a means of grace through your fellowship and support of fellow believers for them finishing the race. Your prayers are a means of grace for others finishing the race. There's no easy easy way to put this, folks. We are responsible for one another. We're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We have a responsibility to look out for one another and to pray for one another and to love and support one another. And if we do that, Christ will keep us until the end and we will all be before the throne, worshipping together with joy and hope. That's the claim that the scripture makes and that's the crown, the prize that God offers to all of us. Isn't that wonderful? Let's pray. Lord, strengthen us with 